Welcome to the 73rd episode of Rising Tide, the Ocean podcast. This is David Helvarg and my co-host, Vicki Nichols-Goldstein, is away for the holidays. So it's just me and our guest today. During World War II, 250,000 Americans worked in the Merchant Marine, supplying allies in Great Britain and Russia and taking horrific casualties from enemy submarines sinking their ships. Today, there are fewer than 50,000 U.S. licensed mariners working on ships, tugs, ferries, super yachts, and pilot vessels. Many, like our guest and my friend Nick Landon, are also graduates of one of America's seven maritime academies. So, Nick, before we get into all that, I watched you grow up on the beach in San Diego with your dad throwing you and your brother and sister in the waves at Santa Cruz Street as the little kids. Uh, what's your earliest recollection of connecting to the ocean? Oh, my goodness. It'd be hard to trace it back to a single memory. All I can say was growing up, I was very fortunate to grow up by the ocean and um, have a family that supported activities around the ocean. I remember as a young, very young child, uh, every day when my dad would come home from work, he would always come home and he'd say, you guys ready to go to the beach? And we'd go, yeah. And we'd all throw on our wetsuits and we had multiple wetsuits. We usually wore about three wetsuits because they're all like cheap ones out of the alley. We'd throw on about three wetsuits and we'd run down the beach and I would just run into the water about a hundred times every time I went down to the beach. You're on the deck of a ship right now and it's sounding like that. Before you got there, your your history was you were surfing and you were fishing. And fishing, I remember, started early. You started working on a on a charter boat, a fishing charter boat when you were like 13 or something, right? Yeah, that's correct, David. I got my start a little early in my in my life, but I was always really interested in fishing. And uh, I was fortunate enough to become what's known as a pinhead, which is basically an unpaid laborist that swaps the decks and goes fishing for free in return. I started working uh, as a pinhead when I was 13, and uh, I absolutely loved it. So I kept doing it every time I wasn't in school. I had a holiday break. Off for the summer, I'd find myself on the sport fishing boat. And uh, that continued throughout middle school and high school until I ended up at the uh, Maritime Academy. So when you were in high school, you decided to go to the Maritime Academy. Um, what was that process? I was very fortunate to hear about the Maritime Academy, uh, kind of like you alluded to earlier in the podcast, that the maritime industry is a very small, not very well-known um, profession nowadays. So it's almost like you kind of hear about it from someone else. And that's exactly what happened in my case. Uh, someone I knew from sport fishing actually had told me in my junior year of high school, hey, you should look into the California Maritime Academy. I think it would fit your interests. You should check out the school. It was actually a student at the time who was from sport fishing. And as soon as I went to the school in Vallejo, I instantly knew that was the route that I was going to take. It just fitted all my interests. And I was amazed that I could go to college and get a four-year degree and also receive a captain's license in the process. So it was really a turning point in my life and a moment I'll never forget. And so it's up in Vallejo in Northern California. There's the ship attached to the campus. How is it different going to Maritime Academy from a liberal arts school? Wow. That's a, holy smokes. How much time do you got, David? The Maritime Academy is very interesting, right? So you, you sign up for a four-year program. It's a part of the California State University system. So it's the same cost as Chico State or any other CSU in California. However, you're 
you're following a set of guidelines when you go to a maritime academy, right? So you're following a drug testing routine. You're wearing uniforms. You have daily formations where you show up in the morning, salute the flag. It's a much more time commitment than I would say a normal college is. You're required to gain sea time as well as take your classes. You take a uh, impacted class load, almost 155 units that you take over the four years. Regular classes like history, mathematics, science, chemistry, as well as rules of the road, ship stability, gymnasts, radar. So those ship classes are also intertwined with your regular college type classes. Okay, you said gymnasts? Gymnasts, yeah, global marine distress information system. So gymnasts is basically your radio system. If you get in trouble, you're going to send a gymnast call connects you to the outside world when you're in the middle of the ocean. Do you learn MARPOL? Do you learn about uh, rules for pollution and waste? Yeah, absolutely. All of that is a part of the Maritime Academy's training. To gain your license, you have to go through a series of seven tests put on by the United States Coast Guard that test your knowledge in different areas, chart, plot, ship stability, rules of the road, just to name a few. If you can pass all seven tests, and they give you your license. So you started on rowboats and then you had the uh, Golden Bear. Tell, tell us about your at-sea time as a Maritime Academy cadet. Yeah, absolutely. So as a freshman, you're absolutely correct, David. They start you in a rowboat and it's called Marine Survival. Basically, they want to make sure that if you have to abandon ship, you can operate the smallest vessel, the lifeboat. So we have training lifeboats. You learn how to row. From there, you go into small boats, center consoles, single screw type boats, 30 to 40 feet long. Eventually, you work your way up to a summer training cruise, which is on the 500 foot Golden Bear, which is dockside at the college. And you operate that vessel on two 60 day training cruises that go to various places. My uh, first cruise my freshman year was all the way over to Portugal. We left from San Francisco Bay. We went south through the Panama Canal, across the Caribbean, across the Atlantic, eventually ending in Portugal. So you get a wide variety of different training. And uh, like I said, you have to gain a certain amount of sea days before you're eligible to test. Once you have your 360 sea days, they let you take your licensure test route. And what did you do for recreation on your weekends or time off at the uh, Maritime Academy? Vallejo is a great place. It's very well positioned uh, in the Bay Area for a a lot of different things. I'm an avid surfer, so I'd find myself down at the beaches of uh, Ocean Beach, Fort Cronkite, Point Reyes, Santa Cruz. I also avid fisherman as well. We'd fish the San Francisco Bay quite a bit and uh, surrounding lakes in the uh, Eastern Bay Area. It's very close to uh, Kirkwood and the mountains over there. Lots of camping, hiking really just outdoor activities. And the Maritime Academy is a smaller, a smaller school. My class was 90 students in the deck department my year. So you really become close friends with your uh, comrades. And I found that a lot of my friends had similar interests. A lot of my friends surfed, a lot of my friends fished. So we were all like-minded that we enjoyed spending time on the ocean and we wanted to work on the ocean for the rest of our lives. So a bunch of watermen and women, 
young men and women who uh, also have great opportunities coming out of uh, college that that there's a lot of jobs apparently available. What what kind of work do you get coming out of the Maritime Academy? So if you choose to go through the deck department and receive your third mate unlimited license, you can work on a variety of jobs on ships, tugs, cruise ships, passenger vessels, ferries, cargo ships, oil tankers. All of those ships are required to have a third mate on board. It's a United States Coast Guard position on the station bill is a third mate. That's a required position that all ships have. So they need you. The license, like I said, takes time to get sea days and specialty training that only a few maritime academies offer in the United States. There's only seven maritime academies in the United States. There's only one on the West Coast. So with that license, you become a third mate fairly easy out of school. Right now is a great time to be joining the industry. I got extremely fortunate and lucky. It couldn't be a better time to be a third mate wanting to work. And along with commercial vessels, the U.S. Navy also has a maritime sea lift command that people go to work for. Or I guess you can also find jobs in in the ports. Absolutely. There's a variety of industry potentials. Those that do not want to sail find themselves doing husbanding jobs like being a ship's agent, being a logistics manager for shipping companies. There's a lot of shoreside opportunities at all of the shipping companies that operate. Ports are becoming a huge thing. As a lot of people found out, logistics is something that, you know, the United States lives and dies by. Jobs in all of those fields are filled by maritime graduates, whether it's logistics, ship operations, working on ships, working for shipping companies, working in the ports that support uh, shipping. All of those jobs are filled by, you know, people with maritime expertise. So a couple of your years at the Academy were during COVID and the COVID lockdown. So I guess you were one of the lucky cadets who actually got a summer internship on board a ship. A lot of people weren't able to. What what'd you do and where'd you go? My summer of 2020 was my uh, cadet internship. So one of the summers at Cal Maritime, you take everything that you know and you hit the industry, if it will. And you get your first job as a cadet. So that's another position that you can get on a ship. And it's basically someone that's at the academy still who's learning and rides along for an apprenticeship, an internship. And you become a cadet, a deck cadet. So I was lucky enough to become a deck cadet. We were trading from the Puget Sound up in Washington State down to San Francisco Bay. We had a busy run that saw port stays in San Francisco, including Richmond, Martinez. And then we go all the way up north to Cherry Point, which is about 30 miles from the border of Canada and the United States all the way up there. It was a busy run and I got to learn a lot. It was extremely gratifying. I had an amazing experience and it really set the benchmark for what was to come in the next two years once I graduated. So this was an oil tanker, which meant you got a lot of loading and offloading of of crude or of product plus i imagine docking coming in and out of the ports and onto the docks is an experience you want to accumulate absolutely so yeah the oil trade is uh it, it can be very busy and the runs can be very short in between ports unlike some ships that might only call port stays every couple weeks typically uh when you're working on an oil tanker you'll be in and out of port every couple days which means you get to see a lot of uh, pilotage, 
which is uh, navigating a vessel in restricted waters, which is usually ports are under pilotage. You're going to see a lot of docking, undocking, and cargo operations. So it's a quite busy run. It's very involved. By the nature of the cargo, you have to be very careful. So there's a lot of processes that go into the loading and discharging of uh, petroleum products, as you can imagine. The oversight that goes into that, you know, leads to a lot of hands-on work. And when you say pilotage, you're actually talking about a harbor pilot who comes on board and takes takes the bridge, takes control from the captain to guide into these very restricted waters. Absolutely, that's correct. So you'll load a maritime pilot and he'll come up to the bridge. He'll do a turnover with the master, which is another term for the captain of the vessel. There's one captain on board and he's sailing as the master. The pilot and the master will do a turnover and then the pilot will take what's called the con. He'll have control of the vessel and he'll hand steer the vessel. He'll have a helmsman. He'll give the helmsman steering commands, left 10 degrees, right 10 degrees, steady on course 180. And he'll actually take the ship into San Francisco Bay or LA Harbor or whichever harbor has their own pilot associations that are responsible for navigating ships all the way to the dock and then from the dock all the way out to sea. Okay, so when you graduated, now you did a second tour on the Golden Bear, which went went out to the Pacific? That's correct, David. We went out to the Hawaiian Islands and back. Our world was still suffering from COVID very heavily at the time, so our international port calls had been canceled. But we were lucky enough to get off the dock and continue training. We called the Hawaiian Islands in the summer of 2021. And you got some surfing in while you were there? I did get some surfing. We tied up in uh, Honolulu and I got to surf Ala Moana Bowls for the first time. Good for you. And then you got back, then you're graduating and the uh, the testing for the third mate's license with the Coast Guard, that's kind of tough actually. How long does the test last? And you've, you spent four years prepping for it. What all do they cover? So the four, the four years culminates in three and a half days of testing. It takes everything that you've learned or thought you knew up to that point, and it boils it down to seven tests. The tests range from 10 questions, 15 questions, and several that are 70 questions. You need a passing score on each one. You need to go seven for seven, as it's known, to receive your license. The test is only three hours. Each test, you only have three hours, and it covers your knowledge from Everything you learn from the first day at, at CMA, California Maritime Academy, CMA as it's called, lifeboatman skills, how to operate a lifeboat, all the way to stuff you learn in your senior year, which is celestial navigation, using the stars to figure out your vessel's position. All of that is involved, uh, included in those seven tests, and it becomes very stressful very quick. <laughs> Okay, and how long before you found out you passed? Oh, they give you your results as soon as you turn it in that moment. You turn it in, they grade it right in front of you, and you get a, a yay or a nay. Okay, so you got a yay. I got a yay. And then you got a job offer. I did. What, what was the offer? Did, were there several? What were you looking for? What did you get? Where are you now? 
So like I alluded to earlier, it's a great time to be in the industry. I had several job offers coming out of school and, you know, I was very fortunate and lucky to kind of have my choice at a variety of different companies doing different things. Tugboats, passenger ferries, oil tankers, container ships, they were kind of all available at the time of my graduation. So I chose to uh, go back to the company that I interned with back in my summer of 2020. And uh, I'm currently a third officer on board an oil tanker that trades from the Gulf of Mexico to the East Coast. We call ports every week and a half, moving a variety of products, typically gasoline for cars, premium gasoline, ultra low sulfur diesel, typically the products we carry. I'm aboard the Overseas Long Beach. And what's its size and what's your accommodations? What's day to day? So it's a handy-sized tanker, as it's known, 183 meters, just about a hundred, uh, 600 feet length overall. We carry a crew of 21 people, deck department, engine department, and stewards department, all included. The vessel's max capacity is about 330,000 barrels of product, whatever it may be. We can carry chemicals or petroleum products, and the vessel is able to discharge those products it loads those products at load ports, typically in the Gulf region, and then discharge the products using our own set of pumps on the East Coast. We typically call ports like Jacksonville, uh, Savannah, Georgia, and we're currently tied up right now in Wilmington, North Carolina, where I'm talking to you, David. I guess shortly after you came aboard, it was hauled out for a refit, and you were in the dry dock with, with the ship. Where was that, and what was that like? So ships typically every five years will get hauled out of the water in what's known as a dry dock and undergo a series of repairs. You know, a lot of them are actually environmentally focused. So this last time we were in the Grand Bahamas shipyard in Freeport, Bahamas. We actually stripped the whole of all its paint down to bare steel and put a very specialized coat of paint along the hole to reduce the friction between the ship's hull and the water that it passes over in an experiment to uh, try to lower the daily emissions that this ship would burn underway. And uh, so far, the new coat of paint has been extremely successful and has lowered our burn rate by about 5% a day. So because there's less friction between the ship and the water, your fuel consumption's dropped about 5%. And it was just as simple as a specialized coat of paint that had uh, become on the, it came on the market in the last couple of years, a specialized coat of paint that was applied to our hole. And you sort of got a more complete view of the ship inside and out then uh, when it was up in dry dock. They say that if you're a part of the real crew, you'll go to the dry dock because it definitely tests your shipboard knowledge and your will to work. Freeport Bahamas in the summertime can be extremely hot and extremely humid. I think it would be about 15 seconds from the time I left the air-conditioned interior of the ship, 15 seconds going outside, my clothes would already be completely sweated through. We'd work out on deck from 8 in the morning till 10 at night. And the guys at the shipyard have lights that shine on the ship, and they work 24 hours the entire time you're there. So an experience. You were inside and outside the hull and by the props, and uh, we'll get a picture of that. Absolutely. The IMO, the International Maritime Organization, is now committing to basically transitioning the whole shipping fleet to clean fuels by 2050. 
which is really going to be in the course of your career. Is that something that's that's actually getting talked about at the deck level, the idea that you're going to transition from petroleum-based fuels to hydrogen or methanol or whatever it might be? It certainly is being talked about, David. And it's something that our industry is going through currently. The uh, Jones Act industry, the Jones Act being ships that are built in the United States and operated by U.S. mariners, U.S. citizens with United States Coast Guard issued officers licenses, has begun experimenting with these sustainable fuels, most notably uh, LNG, liquefied natural gas. There's many new LNG capable ships out there operating and it's an emerging technology and it's really exciting to see ships put this technology to use and have it work definitely something that's being talked about and is new and upcoming in the industry right and that'll be the bridge fuel and nobody really knows what the ultimate clean fuel will be i I know Maersk, which is one of the major shippers is uh building ships for methanol and there's talk of hydrogen small nukes but it's definitely that and digitalization, digitalizing the shipping industry is, it's a dramatic moment that you're uh, going to work in. It's going to be exciting, David. A lot of the technology is day-to-day being put onto the ships. Like I mentioned, that new coat of paint, that uh, specialized formula, I was told, had really just come to the market in the last couple of years. And with it being applied to our hull, we saw a dramatic difference in the burn rate that we would experience every day. So these technologies are coming out every year and improving the shipping situation. And you're on an oil tanker, so there's probably more interaction with the Coast Guard because of inspections. You're on the East Coast, North Carolina, so there's right whales, whale strikes. Uh, I mean, what kind of day-to-day interaction are you having with regulators, with other forces, with watches for whales or marine life? The interaction with, you know, regulating agencies, whether it be the IMO, the Coast Guard, port state controls, it's something that you do every single day, whether it's direct communication with them or processes that the ship follows under the guidance of those operating principles. For example, tonight when we leave Wilmington, we'll be observing a uh, speed uh, limit for approximately the first 20 nautical miles after we drop off our pilot we'll be going 10 knots or less through the seasonal right whale zone that exists off of basically all of the East Coast. So that's an area where the ship must transit 10 knots or less, and any sightings of whales are to be reported to the Coast Guard. And are you sighting whales or other wildlife uh, from when you're on watch? I haven't seen any right whales personally, but plenty of other marine creatures. So far this trip, I've seen lots of dolphins, and uh, plenty of different species of interesting seabirds that are really cool that follow you for hundreds of nautical miles, days on end. Blue-footed booby birds, frigate birds. You see different types of, you know, like sea eagles, sea hawks that will actually perch themselves on the ship and cruise with you. Like it's ospreys. Very, exactly. You see lots of flying fish when you're underway. It's it's an amazing, it's amazing and very gratifying job to work on the water and have this be your office. You get to see this sort of stuff every day, every morning, every evening. David, it's an absolutely wonderful, wonderful career. And something I'm very passionate about spreading. This uh, past year when I graduated, I started a uh, nonprofit 
with the goal of getting the word out to high school students that don't know about the opportunities that exist in the maritime industry. I created the Maritime Outreach Program. I'm at maritimeoutreach.org. And basically, I'll go to high schools and speak with high schoolers that are about to go into colleges, are still deciding. And I'll tell them what I do and the profession I'm in and try to spread awareness to the opportunities that exist in the maritime industry. That's very cool. I wasn't even aware. And and just briefly, walk us through your typical day. Like, what will you do over the next 24 hours? So as a third mate, I stand two navigational watches when we're at sea, consisting eight hours total. So I'll have four hours in the morning, eight in the morning till noon. I'll be in the bridge navigating the ship. I'll be operating the radars and the electronic chart system that we have. I'll be calling vessels on the VHF radio, making passing arrangements, abiding by the rules of the road and all sorts of <laughs> all sorts of things you see while you're on watch. I have four hours in the afternoon after lunch where I'll be on deck doing deck maintenance projects, whatever the chief mate needs me to do, whether it's painting something, rebuilding a piece of equipment, doing safety inspections on the hundreds of different pieces of life-saving equipment we have on board. All of that stuff happens in the afternoon. And then I'll go back up to the bridge and stand my second navigational watch from 2000 to 2400 midnight. Food good on board? The food's extremely good on board. As I said earlier, we have a, a full stewards department, two dedicated chefs just to feeding the crew. You get three free meals a day, excellent food. There's a gym on board where you can work out. The TVs in the rooms work. You have your own bathroom, nice uh, colored TV, and a warm bed to sleep at night. And, and it's all part of the accommodations on the ship. And you just had some uh, short time in Savannah, Georgia. When's your next uh, break? So we'll be leaving Wilmington and we'll be going back to the Gulf. So we'll be headed for uh, Corpus Christi, Texas. This past trip, we stopped in Jacksonville, Florida, Savannah, Georgia, and uh, Wilmington was our last stop. And uh, I was fortunate enough to get off of the ship in Savannah and uh, check out the local town and community. It's really cool working on these ships. You can you can really get to see some different places. And finally, if you're uh, in front of this high school class that doesn't know anything about the maritime industry, what's your sort of elevator pitch to a high school kid looking to maybe consider a maritime career? I usually just start off with the fact that I never wanted to work in an office, David. I never once told myself that working in an office was for me and that I would be doing that nine to five every day. Another thing I hate is being stuck in traffic, going to and from work. David, I never have that problem here. If you really love the ocean, you love being around the ocean, there's no better career for you. Nick, I got to say, I'm pretty proud of you. And I'm glad that you were able to join us again on the uh, Rising Tide Ocean podcast. David, thank you so much for having me. Rising Tide is a production of Blue Frontier, co-hosted by David Helvarg and myself, Vicki Nichols-Goldstein, with support from Natasha Benjamin and Ellie Kerlow. Rising Tide's editing services and technical support is provided by Studio Cape May, 
The theme song is written and performed by Ethan Kenbarg. You can find Rising Tide, the Ocean podcast at bluefront.org or download it from Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Off in the salty ocean, off where the waves roll free The sparkling water rises, then crashes to the sea Out amongst the breakers, you'll have no need to fear It's true, it's the blue frontier Tear, tear, Off in the salty ocean, off to the blue frontier Sparky, come here, buddy. Sparky, there you are. Good boy, Sparky.